Amen. So, you might have noticed we've been singing songs that talk a lot about God's greatness. And it just strikes me that the world we live in, the culture we're surrounded by, is often really infatuated with this idea of greatness. And it shows up in all sorts of different forms. I thought of it just the other day as I was watching a YouTube video about the footballer Lionel Messi. And the video was entirely a conversation about whether or not Messi was the greatest footballer to ever play the game. Whether he's the greatest today, whether he's greater than some of the footballers of the past. Really, if there's any sport that you like to watch, you can find people who talk about and argue about and think about who is the greatest. Or maybe in music, whatever music app you listen to, you can find that an artist almost always has a list of greatest hits. Heck, even when we do our shopping now, it's become a default part of every online shopping experience to see the reviews. If something only gets one-star reviews, there's no way I'm going to buy it. I only buy things that get the greatest five-star reviews. We live in a world that's infatuated with greatness. And in a lot of ways, I think that's probably a fine, a good thing. What, what this could be is just that we care about and we appreciate excellence. I think excellence is a good thing. Excellence can honor God and it can inspire people. However, like so many good things in our lives and in our world, this infatuation with greatness can have a bit of an underbelly. It can have a dark side. If we're not careful, like all good things, it can become polluted or even perverted. Greatness, if we're not careful, or maybe more specifically, the pursuit of greatness, if we're not careful, can turn into sometimes arrogance or sometimes self-centeredness. The famous Scottish philosopher gave warning of just the danger of arrogance, uh, or Scottish philosopher David Hume, when he said, when men are most sure and arrogant, they are commonly most mistaken. I think also about the reality of a media-saturated world that we live in. Uh, there's a guy who used to work for Twitter, and he now has his own organization called Social Capital. His name is Chamat, and he spends all of his life talking about the way that the media-saturated world we live in shapes our perception of reality. And the argument that he makes, which I think is actually quite true, is that what we see in all sorts of different media around us is not, in fact, real life. What we see are carefully curated and, and, and flawlessly perfected pictures of what life could be like. But what happens is when all we see around us are pictures of a form of perfection, not real life, then we run the danger of we curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection. I mean, in a sense, when people pick, put out pictures only of the greatest possible experiences, then it makes us think that's how life should always be, and it can become a very self-centered, it can be a very self-defeating way to live life. So we live in a world infatuated with greatness. 
Sometimes that can be good and healthy. Sometimes that can be dangerous and unhealthy. But regardless, that pursuit of greatness I start out with because it is, in a sense, a contrast to what we're talking about today. In a sense, what we're going to talk about is the antidote, the cure to unhealthy pursuits of greatness. Namely, what we're talking about is humility in a self-centered world. I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm honest, humility is something I most certainly would benefit if God formed it in me more fully in my life. Just as a reminder, the name of the sermon series is called That'll Leave a Mark. And we called it that because the Greek word character initially meant to leave a mark or make an etching or an engraving. And our hope for this series is that God would leave a mark. He'd make an impression on our lives so that we all the more make a godly impression on the lives of others. I mean, one way to think about it is that who you are today is not going to be who you are 10 or 20 years from now. All of us are growing and changing all the time So we should be, if we're thoughtful, caring people, we should be asking ourselves, what kind of a person are you becoming? What kind of a person am I becoming? Am I becoming the kind of person who's more self-centered, who's more arrogant, or am I becoming the kind of person who's more humble? And we ask these same questions each week about each of the topics we discuss. And so this week, the three questions that we're going to dive into are, What is humility? Why does humility matter? And how do I form humility? As always, there's a bunch of places we could look. We could look at the dictionary for answers to that question. We could look at popular culture for answers to that question. But around here, there's one place that we always look first when we answer the big questions of life. Questions that all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds are offering And I could come up with all sorts of answers, but I don't want to give you just some answer. The place that we look for answers is the life of one individual. A man who walked this earth over 2,000 years ago, who lived a life more fully and perfectly human than anyone else, because he wasn't just human. He was God himself on earth in human form. The man's name was Jesus. And everybody who knew him and everybody who brushed up with him, their lives were transformed by him. So much so that one of the greatest pieces of literature in all of Western history is what we call the Bible, our holy scriptures. Much of which is spent entirely talking about who Jesus was and how he lived. And it turns out that Jesus, according to everybody that knew him, Jesus was an incredibly humble man. So as we try to answer these questions, we're going to find our answers by looking at the life of Jesus, specifically as it was described by one of his first and super influential followers, a guy named Paul. He wrote these letters to all sorts of groups of Jesus followers around the ancient Roman Empire, and he wrote a letter to one specific church in a city called Philippi. It was a group of Jesus followers that Paul knew very well, and he was writing a letter to tell them more and teach them more about what it meant to live like Jesus. We often call that letter Philippians. We're going to read now a few verses from Philippians where Paul 
describes the humility of Jesus. Listen now to these words. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause right here, and I want to pull out three different ways that I think Paul just answered for us our question, what is humility? And all three of these are rooted in the life and the teachings and the example that Jesus himself gave us in his life. So, three things in answer to the question, what is humility? First, humility is being like-minded with Jesus. It means that we think about the world, we see the world, we interact with the world with the same mindset that Jesus himself had. And so we then have to ask ourselves, well, what does it look like? What does it take to become like-minded with Jesus? So let's think about it for just a second. What about just the people in your own life that you currently would say you are like-minded with them? Who is a person with whom you are like-minded? I mean, let's, let's be honest. This could mean all sorts of different things. You could be like-minded in that you cheer for the same football team. You could be like-minded in that you have the same political views, the same moral views, the same religious views. You could be like-minded in a whole spectrum of different ways. But here's one thing that I think is true. The only way to become like-minded with someone is by spending time with them. The way that your life rubs off on someone or their life rubs off on you, the way that you think the same thoughts or hold the same beliefs, the way you become like-minded is by spending time with people, talking about your life and your days, making decisions, asking for their input, letting them shape and inform your life. And the more time you spend with someone, the more like-minded, or rather at least the more likely you are to become like-minded with someone. This is exactly why since the very beginning of the church, Jesus followers have put a priority on telling one another, and once they got written down reading to one another, the stories about the life and teaching of Jesus. We need these stories in our lives to become like-minded. So we read the Gospels. And then furthermore, the rest of the New Testament is all people who knew Jesus personally, or are writing on behalf of someone who knew Jesus personally, passing on the teaching of Jesus himself. So how do you become like-minded with Jesus? You read the stories and teaching of Jesus. You read the teachings of the people who knew Jesus best. And one of the things Jesus said all the time was that he lived his life based on what we call 
the Old Testament, or what he called the Hebrew Scriptures. So we read that too, because that informed Jesus, so that should inform us. In short, that's all been put together into a book we call the Bible. And when we spend time reading the stories of Scripture, we are spending time with God so that we can become more like-minded with Him. We do that in a second way by doing, again, what Jesus Himself did, spending time with God directly in prayer. Just like we'll often in life call a good friend when we just want to talk through something, so also we can call up God in prayer and talk with our God about the things in our lives, going beyond just asking him for stuff, but rather engaging with him about all the stuff of our lives. So, how do we become formed into people of humility? One, by becoming like-minded with Jesus, we do that by spending time with him. Second, what is humility? Humility is valuing others above yourself. Now, in order to get into this, I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to challenge you. This is a question, it's just between you and you. The only person you need to answer this question to right now is yourself. But let me challenge you, if you're going to answer this question for yourself, I'd really encourage you to be honest with yourself. If there's one person in the world that you should be honest with, it should be yourself. Like, let's just stop pretending when we answer questions to ourselves, about ourselves, and let's just be honest. So there's my my warm-up. Here's the question. If we're going to value others above ourselves, and take a moment to consider, how much do you value yourself? Now, I could go a couple directions with this. The first direction I could go is I could say, think about the moment when you have had, in a healthy way, the highest value of yourself ever. And if that's how high you are willing to value yourself, value others even higher than that. But there's a second way, and it's what I actually want to focus on. See, because sometimes we think very highly of ourselves, or we value ourselves in the way that God values us, but I think if we're honest, sometimes we actually value ourselves pretty low and worthlessly. I mean, another, just an invitation to be honest. If you spent a whole day, or maybe even a whole week, and you kept a little journal, and you wrote down every thought that you thought about yourself over the course of the day. Imagine that for a second. For a whole day, or maybe for a whole week, you wrote down every thought you ever had about yourself, and then you held it up, and looking in the mirror, you said those thoughts out loud. What would that be like? What would you find on that list? Or then, more importantly, if you took down all the thoughts that you had about yourself, and here's just my assumption. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, some of those would actually be some kind of nasty things. So if I took all those things that I thought about myself, evidence of how I value myself, what would it be like if I said them to somebody else? 
What would it be like if you said to somebody else some of the things you said to yourself? I mean, let's be honest. If we're supposed to value ourselves above others, sometimes we set a pretty low bar because we value ourselves so lowly that it doesn't take much to value others above ourselves. Here's the point I'm trying to make. There is a direct connection between the degree to which you value yourself and the degree to which you value others. I think often about Jesus' teaching to love others as yourself. Well, if I really loved others, if I really treated others, if I really did to others, some of the things I did to myself, I don't think that would be very loving. This requires a huge amount of self-awareness in order to become conscious of it. But here's the point of it all. The point, I mean, this is all in a sermon on humility. So the point is not that we arrogantly think too highly of ourselves, but the point is we think of ourselves with the same high, high value that God himself thinks of us. And we know that God thinks incredibly highly of us because God paid the greatest possible price, made the greatest possible sacrifice. And we can learn from economics that the value of anything can be recognized by the price you're willing to pay for it. God was willing to pay the highest possible price, which means when he looks at you, he sees somebody with the highest possible value. So what is humility? It's valuing others above ourselves. And if that's something we're going to do, here's a great starting point. Set a higher bar. Start by being honest about whether or not you value yourself. And as you value yourself more in line with how God values you, it's only going to all the more naturally increase the way you value others as well. Humility is being like-minded with Jesus. Humility is valuing others above yourself. And third, humility is taking on the nature of a servant. We see throughout Scripture that Jesus, God himself, in human form, on earth, the greatest possible human being, did not use that power and authority and greatness to become a lord or a ruler or take power over people, but rather, he chose to serve people. Now, when we think about this word servant, it can be a bit of a, a, bit of a complicated word. I don't think it should be a negative word, but I know that often when we see it used in the world around us, often it has a negative meaning. Maybe it shouldn't be this way, but servants are often looked at as somehow lower than other people. And that can become a bit of a problem, because does taking on the nature of a servant mean we devalue ourselves? Or maybe could it be that when Jesus and when Scripture talks about what it means to be a servant, it means something different than this negative picture we see in the world around us. I came across really an awesome illustration of this. A number of years ago, I was listening to a podcast and it was interviewing a man named Horst Schultze. And Schultze was one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. And Schultze started in the hotel business at a very young age and retired as 
the COO of Ritz-Carlton. And one of the things he shared was that throughout his career with Ritz-Carlton, one of the things he would always prioritize is anytime the company opened a new hotel anywhere in the world, that hotel would always have sort of an orientation training for all of the new restaurant workers and housekeepers and bellhops and, you know, front desk workers, basically all of the service industry people in the new hotel. And Horst would always make a priority of making sure he was personally there to lead that orientation in the new hotel. And here's one of the things he would talk about with this group of service industry professionals. He would talk about the way, he would sort of acknowledge that this word servant can often have a negative connotation. And then he would challenge every one of his employees with this really pretty profound thought. Here's what he would say to his employees at Ritz-Carlton. We are not servants. We are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. But then he realized that he really needed to make it sink in even more, so he acknowledged that this mindset, this mental shift that he wanted all of his employees to have, it requires something of us to step into this. So the quote continues, we are not servants, we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen, unless we sentence ourselves to be less. That's in our hands. Schultz knew that if his employees valued themselves lowly, it would result in a low standard of service for his guests. But on the contrary, Schultze believed as he elevated the value, as he spoke worth and value and just, you know, importance into the lives of all of his employees, that would naturally raise the level that his guests received the same treatment as well. How do you value your life? How do you value the work that God gives you of taking on the nature of a servant. Humility is being like-minded with Jesus. Humility is valuing others above yourself. Humility is taking on the nature of a servant. That brings us on, brings us to the second question for the morning. If that's what humility is, why does humility matter? Well, the answer to that question is found in the second half of the scripture that we already read this morning, what comes right after the words of Paul that we just wrote. So you remember that it said, if you've had any, you know, companionship with Jesus Christ, be like-minded with him, value others above yourselves, you know, live your life in humility. And then Paul talks even more about just how incredible it was that Jesus lived in humility. And here's how Paul describes the life of Jesus. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, why does humility matter? Because Jesus was humble. I mean, here's the kind of mind-boggling big idea at the center of this whole topic of humility. Jesus was the greatest human to ever walk the earth, and he lived with the greatest humility. I mean, if we live in a world that's infatuated with greatness, that prioritizes greatness, that pursues greatness in all sorts of of ways, shapes, and forms, then really one pretty critical way to answer the question, why does humility matter? Well, because humility is inherent in true greatness. I mean, I would bet that any of the people in your life that you really hold up as the greatest, sort of the best examples of truly great human living, they're always people who seem to effortlessly exude humility throughout their lives. They achieve greatness without becoming arrogant or self-centered or domineering over people, but they they can achieve greatness while maintaining humility. One of the ways that our former pastor Steve Tolson said this all the time is that humility is not putting yourself down. Rather, it's lifting other people up. And that ability to lift other people up, true humility, that is, in fact, the core. It's the heart of the truest forms of greatness. Which brings us, as always, I hate to say it, to the most challenging part of the sermon, because it'd be nice to just sort of think about these things and go away and say, good job, I love thinking about these things. But instead, I ask you and I ask myself to end every Sunday by considering what's your move going to be? And specifically this morning, we're going to ask ourselves, how do I form humility in my life? Before I answer that, though, I just want to remind you of something. I said this in the first sermon, and I want to say it again. We're going to talk about seven different character traits, seven different ways that God might form our character, leave a mark on our character Seven different ways that we might cooperate with God in the work he's doing in us. Please, 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 please don't try and do all of these things at the same time. Please don't say, I'm going to become more present and more patient and more humble and more just. Please don't try to do all of these at the same time. We all know you've seen it in your life before. If we try to do too many things at once, We end up doing all of them poorly and none of them well. None of it is really going to leave a mark on our lives. So instead, we're in the middle of the series now, part five. Think back on what we've talked about. Go on the website, look ahead to where we're going. Pick just one, maybe two. I said up front, would you make this a season of character formation in your life? Listen to all of the sermons. I think that's good for us to think about all these But pick just one, maybe two, that you're going to focus on 
Try to focus on it for the next two, maybe three months. Maybe this becomes a, an emphasis for your whole summer. Write a list, put it on your paper, you know, put it on, put it on your refrigerator, or on the dashboard of your car. Say, I'm going to work on this for the next two, three months of my life so that all the more I can open myself to the work of God who's already at work in me. So to that end, if you feel like God's prompting you, if you feel a little stir in your heart and maybe humility is the thing you've got to work on, let me give you a couple ideas for how you might do that. First, and I say this so often about so many things, it starts with self-awareness. So here's a question you could ask yourself. You might not want to ask other people this question. Maybe if there's somebody else you can trust to ask this question, you can. But do people experience you as humble? And I get it. That's a, that's a really tricky thing to try to answer. Because it's not like, you know, if I, if I think that thought and I really answer that question as a yes, I'm just trying to be self-reflective. I'm not trying to be arrogant about how humble I am. I'm just trying to be self-aware. It's not like if God's formed us into humility, we can just throw that certificate of humility up on our office wall behind us and pat ourselves on the back. I mean, it's not like you've ever met somebody that's been like, oh, you're trying to become more humble? Just look at my life. I am a shining, perfect example of humility. Just be like me and you're going to be great. We can't do it. So it's complicated, but self-awareness considering whether humility is honestly in your heart, whether or not you live your life with humility, that is a critical first step to simply become self-aware. And once you do that, here's a few practices you could take that might help you partner with the work God's doing in your life. First, spend time thinking about the life of Christ. Or spend more time, or get more regularly with the time. Just spend time thinking about how Christ himself lived. If Christ was the greatest human ever, and the most humble ever, then we should think about, put our hearts and our minds onto the life of Christ. Here's a great challenge. Consider doing this. Pick a story from the Gospels about Jesus. I mean, that's what the Gospels are. They're stories about Jesus. Pick a story about the life, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus. Read through the story and ask yourself, what were some of the thoughts Jesus was thinking? What were the actions Jesus took? How did Jesus see the people and interact with the people around him? And then try to act like Christ acted. Think like Christ thought. See others like Christ saw them. In your life, do what Christ did. Spend a week, pick one story of the Gospels, and spend a week trying to think and see and act and speak the same way Jesus did. I'll give one recommendation. Don't start with the story where Jesus makes a whip and beats people in the temple. Like, just talk to me if you want to try that story. I just want to make sure we get that one clear. That might not be the right place to start. Um, but there's so many good stories of Christ, that if we, if we put them in our hearts, they're going to shape how we live. Second, reflect on the way you treat yourself. Again, the higher you value yourself in accordance with how God values you, the more naturally you're going to value others and the more capable you'll be of valuing others above yourself. You could ask yourself, would you actually want to treat others the way you treat 
yourself? How high of a bar are you actually setting? If we're going to reflect on the way you treat yourself, then we're going to recognize if we learn greater compassion for ourselves, we will be all the more able to share that same compassion or grace or love or forgiveness from God with others. Third, if we're going to grow in humility, that's going to involve serving others. So you can grow in humility by serving with excellence. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus served us in the most incredible way, and he did it with joy. Let me ask you, where is a place in your life that you're currently serving people? You're serving someone. Maybe you're doing some service that you don't find enjoyable all that much. In that moment, grow your humility by choosing to serve with joy. By choosing to serve, not as some sort of miserable, menial task, but identify your service as an expression of God's greatness expressed through you. Or last but not least, we've been talking about the prayer practice called examine. I shared before, but I'll share it again. I was getting ready for church a couple weeks ago, and my five-year-old Naomi climbed on the counter, and she said, Dad, did you know? I don't know. What, Naomi? Did you know that Jesus is our friend? Wow. That's awesome, Naomi. And he's even friends with little toddlers and babies, and with grandmas and grandpas too. Naomi reminded me of the great truth of Scripture, that God came down to be with us because he wanted to be friends with us. And that's what the prayer of examine is. Just like at the end of the day, sometimes we'll call up a good friend just to talk over our day with them, just to share our lives, swap stories, say, how's it going? The prayer of examine is a chance to go over your day with your God who wants to be your friend with you. We can ask all sorts of questions in the prayer of examine. Where did I see and experience God's presence? Where did I feel far from God's presence? Or maybe with humility we could see where was I self-centered or where was I others focused? Whatever it is that you think God is calling you to grow in your life, make it a habit to go over your days, to talk about your challenges and struggles, to talk about your growth and opportunities with your God every day. And when I say prayer, I mean going beyond simply asking God for stuff. Scripture says we can and should do that. But going beyond that and saying we're going to talk with God about all of the stuff of our lives. And here's my hope. That through prayer, through practice, through formation, we'll be able to look at our lives and we'll be able to say God's work, God's presence, God's character, that's leaving a mark on me. As the worship team comes back up, would you pray with me now? God, we acknowledge that often we are being formed. We're letting our hearts and minds get filled with things we don't really like. We think thoughts about ourselves. We think thoughts about others. We make choices or take actions that, oh, we wish we didn't do. 
We struggle with regret, with hurt, with all sorts of burdens. But God, we believe that you want to form us into people who are like Jesus, who are so filled with love, who are so aware of your presence in our life, who so so deeply know that you, God, created us with infinite worth, that that becomes the defining characteristic, the visible mark of our lives. Even now, God, we take a minute and I invite everybody watching this, whether right now live or anytime you watch this in the days and years ahead, take a minute and think back over the last day of your life. And as you remember how you spent this last day, you might ask yourself, are there any times or places where I become, became completely self-centered? Acknowledging those to God, simply ask that he would work with you in changing them. Are there any places where you were joyfully others-centered? Acknowledging that to God, ask him to make that even more the desire of your heart. God, we pray, we ask that each and every one of us in our lives would have our character, would have the very foundation of who we are shaped into who you, our great, great God, into who you have made us to be. We pray this all in your mighty name. Amen.